Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at Pros. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at Pros. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, also known as Jenny. And today, I'm my co-hosts are Sierra Barnes and Matthew. You know, I never said your last name out loud. Negron? You're supposed to roll the R. Uh, I, can't I, can't do the, I can't do the R, so I don't do that. Wow. <laughs> I need you to start practicing that. Negron? There you go. Wow. Yeah, I'll practice Man. next time. <laughs> Our guest today is Matthew Womack. Great I hope, name. Did I pronounce your last name correctly as well? Sounds good. Yep. Okay. Uh, who's a senior cloud engineer at IBM. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just get into it, I guess. I need, I need to work on my transitions, but, you know, <laughs> we'll work on it. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, how did you get interested in technology? How did you kind of get to this career? You know, what's your origin little, story? Yeah, give us your background. Absolutely. Oh, I'll be happy to share that. You know, like um, I would say on paper. It, so for me, I think I look. I feel like on paper, I look like maybe at the time what was considered um, a mostly traditional person that would get to technology. So from childhood, it's. You know, my, being very fortunate enough for my parents to be able to afford, like, um, I think their first computer was something of, it was like an Apple IIe clone. Um, and um, being able to have that in the household and be um, exposed to that. So that, that's, I, I understand that that's something that's like a blessing for me. Um, but just always, I've all, you know, I love video games. I still do. I'm 40 plus and I still play video games. So that's something that kind of, I think, I could attribute to getting me started in my technology journey. So being in a household, being fortunate enough to be exposed to technology, I think I, I have to give a big piece of that um, of, of, to how I got sort of my start. And then I always find myself, even in high school where there's electives, taking the programming class or um, and then when I got to college, I just knew I was going to be a computer science student. So I'm, I'm glad to actually say that um, before I go too further, um, like the, the traditional way of getting into technology, I would say that the barriers were definitely a lot higher. So it's like four-year degree, you know, getting through this four-year plus curriculum of, of stuff to be able to then interview at places and to, you know, get your career going. So that was like the path that I took. I went, attended Loyola University, and I um, earned um, a BS in computer science. One of the things, and so like for, for, for a long time, to get into like a Microsoft or places or even IBM, it's like, if you didn't have a college degree, you're, that, I mean, you know, your resume would just get tossed to the, to the side. Yeah. I guess we can get into that a little bit later. I'm so glad that that is no longer the case. And, and um, but a um, computer science degree, I graduated. Um, my first job was at a credit bureau called um, TransUnion. And so I just, 
right away there was interest in my first job. I basically was exposed to technologies that I didn't touch or even know anything about. Like my first job actually was in what we call today legacy systems. And so I was supporting an application that ran on the IBM mainframe. And we used like, I know some, some of the audience may be familiar with this. It's like a COBOL programming and um, DB2. So yep. companies still use that. Um, and this was years ago. I used to work at a water company that had an AS400 with COBOL uh, programmers. Yeah. So yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I stuck with it because uh, those folks are making a fortune now. Um, but yeah, it was like, I think the thing that I would like to touch on is that, um, and I, forgive me if I jump around too much because I feel like it's so much. And <laughs> please feel, please rein me in, if I, you know. But um, I find that even in my very first job, day one of my very first job, graduating out of school, I found myself being put to situations that were completely brand new to me. So even though I have this piece of paper saying that you know I did just enough in school to get earn this degree. Here I am, kind of back to square one. So you're, you're sort of in school, but this time you're getting paid for it. The, did the you do any internships while you were an undergrad? I did, actually. Yeah, thank you for um, raising that. I actually had an internship at Walgreens, the Walgreens corporate headquarters. I definitely encourage people, internships are so key and crucial to getting your foot in the door, having that working experience, because um, there's so many things that, like, school just don't teach. Yeah. And I find that, like, going into... Like for me, um, at the time, Walgreens were still moving away from people who would wear suits and ties every day. Like them relaxing their dress code was, I could wear a shirt and a tie. <laughs> like, okay. But um, it was really great though for me, earning a paycheck, but then like going to work and kind of seeing like, here's exactly what it would be like. Um, really quickly, what I did at um, Walgreens internship, the cash registers are essentially computer. Well, back then they were like, they're computers. And uh, the group that I was in was called uh, Store Systems or the Point of Sale Store Systems. Mm -hmm. So my mentor was the guy, when people would walk into Walgreens, um, and in fact, I think this program might still be in effect to this day. If you walk into Walgreens and buy cigarettes, it says like, you know, if you're, um, you have to be, what does it say? Like there's a little bit of a prompt that says, were you born on a certain day or something like that? And then, mm -hmm. it, oh yeah, I see this. Then mm -hmm. The person that was my mentor was the person that worked on that thing. So the cool thing about um, Walgreens was that you could kind of see the stuff you work on in the wild. You can go mm -hmm. to Walgreens and be like, oh, the guy that's my mentor literally is working on that, and he's yeah. like Walgreens all over the all over the world, at least all over the country. So I really enjoyed that. It was really cool to kind of be able to do something at work. And then see it live, like when you go home on your way, you stop into the wall. Yeah, and it's also like, easier oh. to explain to your family what you do, right? Absolutely, right. <laughs> Isn't that something though? Like um, when it comes to IT, like I have brothers. My brother is a physician. Other brother is a um, like a sales rep guy. And like you know, when it comes to IT, it's like, oh man, he he does something with computers. I'm like, okay. <laughs> It's <laughs> like, he's disruptive. Oh, my brother, he's a doctor. Ew. Yeah. But when it comes to IT, it's like, I have people like, can you help me with installing Windows 98? I'm like, well, I like no, not really. My forte, I can, you know. So that's an interesting thing in and of itself. I think that's interesting in the tech industry. Probably a lot of people have that experience of, okay, so what exactly do you do every day? And then you got to figure out a very concise way of explaining. 
the billionaires that they do during the day and what it actually produces. Yeah. That is true. That's something I kind of struggle with. Even my current role, it's like, um, just to kind of give it to people in a way where it's like, oh, that's what it is. I, I, I sort of, I, I work in a, that delivery too, like what would be my 30 second kind of elevator pitch. But that, mm-hmm. is, that is so it though. Yeah. yeah. Um, with the internship, I did do that. So another thing I would like to highlight is that in addition to having a traditional sort of technology education and experience, I did attend a boot camp. I made the choice to attend a boot camp. And this is me, Matt, talking, you know, my own kind of personal <laughs> experience. I'm a huge boot camp fan. I, so in a way, like I've, and I've sat next to people who, you know, in, at the start of the boot camp, they were like, I use computer, you know, mm-hmm. then by the end of the boot camp, they're doing super slick applications. And we're talking a matter of like, I went to one full time for uh, three months. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, it's definitely, in the long story short, uh, you know, boot camps are all about what you put into it. I, it can be challenging and it's not for everybody. But for me, the type of um, learner that I am, I think one thing I had to understand for myself and that definitely get in touch with like, what do you, I need to be successful. Um, I really admire the people that are like, I just decided that I'm going to work in Google by the end of the year. So I'm just going to sit down and go to Starbucks and study eight hours a day. And Mm -hmm. there's people that can do that. And in fact, um, I've come across a Facebook group where, um, I think a number of people are self-taught and that is incredible. I wish I had that discipline. Uh, uh, but for me, I find that, um, in that same group has also stated that, um, I, if you show me the roadmap of how to learn, I got it from there. So for me, the boot, boot camp experience was I got to sit next to people that had all kinds of different experiences. I think there's an interesting bit of learning that comes from this person is looking at this stuff for the first time with eyes, fresh eyes. For me, you know, by the time I got to my boot camp, I've had 15 years of experience. I've been at four or five jobs. In my head, I had an idea of what I thought web, web development was, but to sit next to a person who could look at something with fresh eyes, I actually learned from that. Mm-hmm. And I it was so interesting. And actually, um, for me, with boot camps, you get, um, you know, the support for jobs. Um, and then it's like, and I really don't like this, but it's sort of like, you know, I think jobs, you know, they, they, it's like, well, you know, what were you doing for the last three months? Well, I was working on these projects or it's, it's, it kind of shows that you're kind of doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the networking for me, like I literally got my very first job after uh, out of boot camp because I was good friends with a woman whose husband worked at my, employer uh, at the time mm-hmm. where um this is like send me your resume a few weeks later i had an offer and even just after one boot camp finished so the networking piece the um collaborative learning yeah i thought that was just really valuable so yeah i'm i'm i i admire folks who can just pick up a book and run with it you know you have to know what your learning style is um for me i feel like boot camps can can and then not all boot camps are created equal too so i think you have to definitely kind of vet them i think one thing to push back if a person's interested in a boot camp you know interview them it's like how do you prepare people to continue learning 
after the conclusion of the boot camp. Mm-hmm. So they, if, 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 if whoever is running the program can give a good answer that to your satisfaction of, okay, they're going to give me the tools to not just learn the stuff, but what's a model for me to continue my growth and development? I think that might be a good one to consider. Yeah, and I noticed your boot camp is affiliated with a university as well, which I think that's the first one I've seen. It was, yeah. So, like, um, overall, like, the uh, Umbrella Company is Trilogy Network, and then my local affiliate of that in Illinois, Chicago, was uh, Northwestern University. And so I think um, that did a couple of things for me. So Northwestern is um, a pretty prestigious school, and so by going to the Northwestern University boot camp, that sort of, so for me, like my choice of the boot camp was strategic in that sense, in that, um, you know, essentially like the, the, the boot camp was in person at the time and it was on Northwestern's University um, downtown campus. And so I think the university sort of gave some support in that regard in terms of having the space and all that. And it was, you know, easy to get to. But also, I feel like, to me, just like it kind of opened up. It, it was like I would say that I could. I would say that it would kind of open up a little bit of a door, you know, in regards to, like, if if I'm you know I'm trying to get into the minds of recruiters, and you know maybe if the audience or if, if any of you guys have experience with like you know if a if a recruiters looking at my resume, like, will what what would they think of that? Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it definitely stands out right i mean th- that's a big name for someone with a computer science degree and the experiences what were the influences that made you want to do a boot camp you know um one thing i recognized that actually um my degree had sort of aged a bit and so like for instance my first class my literally first class in undergrad was um, learning uh, um, pascal which is really not language that exists in the wild. It's almost like language that exists just to teach people how to like do procedural programming. But then having said that, technology moves so fast. Like by the time I graduated, sort of the first introductory course at my same university was Java. And so if you can imagine a person who's being exposed to object-oriented programming, and then, you know, look at how Java's everywhere today. Versus, so it's like just in the span of like, couple of years for me starting in 1994 to somebody starting a little bit later in the same program at the same university it's like it things have changed so fast so even recognizing sort of where I got to in my career I had sort of went down this legacy like COBOL mainframe later on I kind of got exposed to um, like Linux distributed systems but a lot of it was still like I'm getting jobs in the strength of the stuff I did before which was sort of like an older big enterprise, um, there's a machine, literally like at TransUnion, for instance, we had a main, there are literally mainframes in the building, like on premises, where people can pay, you know, good money to watch, you know, and monitor and deal with these things 24 seven. Um, so for me, I felt like I got to a point in my career where I wanted like a fresh start. Um, and I wanted to kind of add this skill set. For me, it's like, okay, I, I want to add the skill set in a relatively short period of time. Um, I'm generally familiar with technology, but I felt like I needed um, some support in getting to that sort of, in a way, my like my, my career modernization journey. So that was sort of my thought behind that. And were you working? 
At the time, I wasn't, actually. Um, that's another thing, too, i like to touch on. I actually had some really interesting career decisions that I look back and be like, I wonder if that was a good idea. I actually quit my job in 2014. Actually, I, so I landed at TransUnion twice. My second time at TransUnion, and it, there's some lessons I, I, I would like to kind of share that um, it's like, don't do what I did. Um, <laughs> I, I was in a group when I first landed at TransUnion Policy. My second time when I got to TransUnion, I really enjoyed what I was doing because it was I was essentially like a, a data analyst. I worked in the analytics division, and my job was to take the data from our systems and put it in a format such that my colleagues, whether it's my manager who is an economist, they can consume that and do something with it. And so they're looking at credit data that was um, depersonalized and then doing things with it to understand what the markets are doing. And at the time, like student loans are getting, well, they are super crazy now, but like, you know, do the presence of student loans impact, um, does that, can that indicate, you know, how people pay their bills and all kinds of really interesting questions. So over time, like my career got to a point where um, apartments changed, people were moving around. And then my position was eliminated. And so at the time, I had the option to take a package or move into a group where it wouldn't have been my first choice, but I thought, oh, well, you keep the salary. It's not what I want to do, but I can kind of stay there and try to figure it out. And at the time, I was actually in grad school as well for um, a user experience um, thing at Paul that I, I completed while I was at the TransUnion. I feel like, though, that might have been a mistake looking back and what i mean by that is it just wasn't what i wanted to do honestly so i tried to squit fit, fit like a a square peg in a round hole for myself and i just wasn't successful in that role and i frankly struggled with it but then i was afraid of uh, oh well if i don't have a job what am i going to do i would say looking back sometimes things can be blessings that present themselves and it's just like to lean into that and then so at the time, the timing was really eerily strange. I had just finished my graduate school degree. Um, my job was technically eliminated, so I would have been released from the job. But then I would have had enough um, severance money to survive, you know, for some months, and to maybe move into like my sort of user experience kind of degree um, career that I had just finished. I was scared. I was scared. I was like, oh, I can't not have a paycheck and my mom think and, you know, all this stuff. And I, I decided to take this sort of transition and I, it just, it was kind of tough. And then I thought, well, I have this. So I, I, try, I struggled on that for about a year and I did move away from the job. I thought, you know what, in order for me to really step out, I'm going to actually leave the job because this is not working for me. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a little bit of me being in the wilderness so, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm at this point, late thirties, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. So it was like BS computer science, masters in, you know, human computer interaction. I'm like, I don't have a job. Like, what the hell, what, what am I doing? Oh, the, what the heck did I say? Heck <laughs> I think we could be PG 13 here. And I say this like, what am I doing? And so for me, like, um, I had some little bit of really interesting experiences of being involved in like, some side projects and been working with some friends on some things, but I sort of sort of languished in this sort of middle space of not being employed. And then I thought, um, it occurred to me, um, I think I went to a job fair and someone I ran across 
was like, oh, I'm going to a boot camp. I'm like a coding boot camp. And then that sort of kind of sparked the idea for me to be like, if I can modernize my career, give this a try, I think this could give me the boost that I need. I love that um, you were, you know, self-aware enough to say, you know, even though this this thing that I actually like is unfortunately ending, I could move over to this thing, but I know that I'm not going to enjoy it. You know, I think in our culture, it's very hard to take that risk. Like you said, what's my mom going to think about me? How am I not, you know, how am I going to survive without a job? And you know, I think teaching younger people the skills of how to, you know, make sure that you're A, saving for a rainy day so that you're more comfortable with taking the risk and not being in a job that you know that you're not going to be happy with. And then second fold, also recognizing that I have to constantly be a student, you know, being a lifelong student of You've got to learn new skills. You got to stay up with the times. You cannot just stay in this world and think that the knowledge that you have is going to sustain you for the next 15, 20 years. And again, taking a risk to say, this is going to take me more time to, you know, take this class or do a boot camp or what have you. Um, and really kind of diversifying, I guess, your personal portfolio, you can say, to, you know, I have my traditional but I need to learn these other things to make myself more marketable and more valuable so that I can, there are so many avenues that I can take now that I'll probably never be without a job. <laughs> You're, I tell you, I think you can end the podcast right here. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> if, if this was church, I'd be amen. <laughs> passing around the collection plate. You're like, yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, I, I think that if I think, if anything, lifelong, lifelong student, and if I got to go to uh, do another boot camp or career, or at this point, I think I feel like enough, I can kind of do self-learning, but um, if a boot, if I feel I could get some value out of a boot camp, I'll do another one. Um, you know, that's the kind of learner I am. That is exactly it. Yeah. Um, I, like I can guarantee you another 10 years, there'll be a new set of things. That's the thing. And absolutely have to learn it. Things are changing so fast. I mean, even uh, it's stunning. Like I just, you know, with cryptocurrency and blockchain and, um, Jeez, artificial intelligence and even the stuff that I'm aware of at, at work, it, like I'm stunned, you know, working in technology, reading this stuff for fun. And I'm like, whoa, I, like, I feel like I'm getting my mind blown all the time. And I work in this stuff. So it's like <laughs> things are moving so fast. But yes, your what you said is so perfect. I mean, I, I, I yep. I mean, I'm in that boat right now trying to self-teach myself some new skills so that I can learn this new thing and again be more marketable just adding more things that you're good at so that you can say i'll probably never be without a job i know how to do this this and this <laughs> absolutely absolutely i'm telling you, that's it and i felt like the, the um what i'm really excited to get to is that and if guys don't mind my little pivot like the barrier to learning to, about technology is so low it's really like if you have the time and and, and, the, and the inclination you know, there's so many people I follow on Twitter. Like, I'm so inspired by young people, particularly um, there's a number of young Black women that are just like, I'm just so in awe of them because it's like, um, you know, like, oh, gosh, there's one young lady. Um, I believe she's self-taught. And I, 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 it's just like, you know, she uh, has active, she's very active in contributing to just like, um, just, just like the, the, the Black 
tech Twitter of just her experiences. Um, she has quite a following. You know, I, I mean, there's so many, gosh, it's, I'm just trying to think of some names, but um, it's just, I, I'm, I'm so glad to see, especially younger people kind of like shining the way um, for people to kind of figure out like how to get into technology. In fact, um, even at the moment, there is um, Afrotech 2021 happening. And, I, and like that, that was one of the links I wanted to share and talk about. There is a cost to that. But the one thing I honed in on is there's a submit resume button at the top of that Afrotech. So for people who, you know, if you're not able to attend it at all, I don't know exactly what happens when you submit the resume. But like in terms of, for instance, like I'm a big fan of free code. I'm, and my apologies, I feel like I'm jumping around. But in terms of lowering the barriers, free, freecodecamp.com. Mm-hmm. I'm just like... When, you know, free, I, I literally tell people who I'm like, oh, I think I'm interested in technology. I go freecodecamp.com. Just go free, you know. When you look at the um, page of like, I got a job at Amazon. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, and it's a curriculum that goes from, here's how you do your first front-end web page to then data structures, machine learning, Python programming. It's like you get you go through these, um, and it's all free. Literally, it's free. It's free code camp. It's free. Now, of course, you give your time, and you do have to kind of work and study. But it's a really well done site where you can do it on your iPad. It looks like you know you can. Um, it's like web based, so you can literally on your even on your phone. I guess like I haven't tried it on my phone, but I'm sure it would work. And there are people getting jobs at Amazon and Google off of this free code camp. And if people can understand like what that means, like, you know, these places typically pay pretty well. So we're talking like, you know, folks who are like, oh, I was, you know, a server or, you know, unemployed and now I have a job that we're not just talking you're earning a living. We're talking like, especially for us, like black people, you're changing the destiny of your family's legacy. Yeah. Money. Yeah. That's the first resource that comes up for like, learn programming on Reddit. And just to clarify for the audience and whoever's listening, it's freecodecamp.org if you yes. want to visit it. I definitely encourage people. And there are other um, platforms. Thank you, Matthew. And then on YouTube, whoa, you will... Oh, I call it YouTube University. You can learn anything. <laughs> months to go through all the content. Literally, if you were to back-to-back and somehow could get magically get paid to watch YouTube, there's so much content with freecodecamp.org of people walking you through, oh gosh, you name it, artificial intelligence, um, how to do certain types of um, automations with Python or learning front ends or learning about Flask or you name it, like React, how to you know get started with React. Um, literally going from turn the computer on to you have this thing deployed somewhere, that's a React thing that you can add to your portfolio that then, you know, as you do that, you can understand it better. And then it's just, yeah, so, I, you know, and I'm not paid or uh, sponsored or anything mm-hmm. by Cold Camp. I just find that, for me, that's the one thing that I've seen that um, it's just a matter of donating your time to it, and then you know, it opens the doors for you. So, because um, you mentioned you're at camp, you have people from different backgrounds. You have you have more experience in, in the technology field. Did the camp prepare you for the interview process? And like, what kind of questions would be asked in an interview process? It did. Absolutely. Like, I, I do remember us having maybe like a mock kind of sort of experience where it's sort of going through 
um, kind of practicing like walking through, like say like GitHub for instance. Um, also just like, what are some questions that they can ask? Like for me, I was a little lucky in the way that I've sort of had technical interviews before. So even though like I feel like in this, it was for me, it was similar, but yet different, but similar, or if that makes any sense. I would do say that for folks who are completely new to technology, um, a good boot camp will prepare people. That's actually a really big part of it. In addition to um, the support services and getting helping people's resumes, mock interviews, um, having people get in front of folks and then like, like pitch your project or things like that. So a good a boot camp should have those resources that can help people get more comfortable with that. Because yeah, technology, um, yeah, the, it, those interviews can be, they're nerve wracking. It's, 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 they are. It's I feel being on the other side of them now, like we're doing some intern um, interviewing right now. And I try to make them feel comfortable because, I mean, it's very nerve wracking because you're basically like, here's a programming prompt. Oh, yeah. Please code it. Get your syntax correct. I tell you, yes, that's it. Ooh, let me tell you, as a person who's wild those, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to remember, um, like a good and then a good for me. Like I've been in good ones where I didn't get the job, but it felt more like a conversation. It's almost yeah. like you're, you're you're working with a friend on something. You're you're so like for for those where it feels like a, like a conversation, and you're sort of showing how you work and then you're also leaning in on your own experience and being like you know i'm trying to remember i know here's what i want to do and so talking out loud um absolutely yeah. absolutely um, with, you, um, know, you gotta yeah. differentiate so it's kind of and i've had discussion with people like should we be giving people these challenges or should we ask them to code on site i'm still kind of old school i'm still kind of like no we should ask but you don't have to know the answer. You just talk it through, relax. Mm -hmm. Like I try my best to like, let's, we're just, we're going to get through this. Just, you know, what's step one or what do you think is the first thing you need to do? And, you know, talk them through if they get stuck and then just kind of giving, I like to give feedback. Like, so, okay, so you were a little rough around this. Maybe you need to learn the collections framework and job a little more. You don't seem very comfortable with it or something like that. So yes, Jenna, that is so invaluable for people to get that feedback. Cause I know like so many times I think some of the critiques I've heard about people and interviewing experiences is I don't know what you know, where did I go wrong? Where what 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 was something that I need to work on? And then you reach out, oh thank you for the interview. It's just something I could have done better. And it's like, you know, when there's like you don't get that feedback it's that people don't know how to like, you know, obviously that report card so that you can know where to course correct. Um, and then one of the things I read on Twitter was so powerful. What was it? It was a question that stated, um, gosh, how did it go? Oh gosh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's like at the end of the interview, um, a person could use this. Um, is there anything in my resume that is not present that gives you pause or something like that. I think I've heard that one. You got. Yeah. I feel like that one's a hard one to ask, though. It is like in the yeah. in the moment. <laughs> Absolutely, it's like, oh, it's like so. It's like kind of opening up the door to like you know, is there something that is not there, or or it, or, or yeah, I guess it would be that's not there, and then it kind of have to act because then it could be. Um, here's another thing too that I would like to kind of talk about super quick. I think my last job was like almost like. When I think about how everything kind of fell into place for me to end up at IBM, it's almost like a heist movie where things just kind of magically fall into place. And I'm just like, you know, all of these things that seem to be unrelated, 
you know, but then it ended up being, it was this very perfect things that enabled me to kind of get into this new experience. When I first started, and, and, and also like who you are as a person, how you carry yourself can really have an impact across even your career. Um, when I was interviewing for the job that I was referred to by my um, boot camp friend, whose husband worked at the place that I formerly worked at, I was working with the HR recruiter. She was like, wow, that Matt guy is so nice. He's so nice. So before I stepped foot in there, I was known as nice, man. I was the nice guy. I'm so nice. <laughs> and so but I, um, so the, when I had my interview, the, uh, my friend's husband who was there, who basically walking through an interview, I mean, I, I still had to do my coding stuff. I had to still had to do the whiteboarding, but I nailed all that. I did mess up on the React part, but uh, by that point, I did get some of the things I needed to get done right. But everybody was like, they really wanted me to succeed. I'm the nice guy. <laughs> but I had the connection. I was kind of at that point friends with my, my um, okay. friend of mine now too. Long story short, so they're like, hey, you're such a nice guy. There's a woman here who has this, um, it's like a lunch and learn series. You guys should work together to, you know, she needs a little help with just pulling it together and talking to people across the company is a good place to, way to meet people. So I'm like, lunch and learn. Well, I'm trying to get my foot, you know, hold on this job. But I guess, you know, I mean, it's not going to hurt anything, right? So I became friends with this lady. And then I got comfortable with speaking in front of people. I'm meeting people across the company. And so that was something that I was doing. So this was outside of my job description. I didn't have to do it, yeah. but it was something that I became, and I liked doing that. And I was meeting people. And then something that people who were at, was at my job for, for me, a lot more years, they're like, well, how, how do you know that person? So I met him at Lunch and Learn. I met him at Lunch and Learn. And so I did all that. I think that kind of led to some really interesting opportunities. So then when I was interviewing for IBM, First thing um, my interviewer asked me is like, oh, tell me about this lunch and learn thing. And as it turns out, presenting in front of people, reaching across the organization, they were, I talked about that almost more than my technical stuff. Yeah. As it turns out, like that really was a big part of what got me pulled into my current role. Um, another thing too, um, in my job, things were changing quickly at, at my last company and it ended up that I ended up in this operations role. So kind of leaning back on, you remember I was like, oh, this operations thing, you know, here we go again. I'm doing something that I'm not crazy about. But then I saw the value in that. Like, um, you know, I had a colleague where he was like, oh, I don't want to do operations. I want to be a coder. I want to push stuff out. Um, and I'm thought, okay, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I kind of thought back to my trans union days. I was like, uh oh, but the one thing that I saw that was really valuable for me that I did sort of get that engagement back was that I was going to be exposed to cloud technology. So Azure, mm -hmm. so it was like, well, okay, I like that. It's something that I could take with me. So that was a important piece for me too. Like the thing I would say that was different from my prior experience was that was like, I got that, that experience at the, um, at TransUnion was more like, you're sort of in this place of like, I didn't quite see the future in that. I saw a future in like understanding how Azure works and cloud technologies and transitioning things into Azure and being comfortable with that, maybe and getting a certification in that such. And so all of those things kind of came together to for me to end up in my current role, which... Um, so what are you doing in your current role? Sure. Um, as a... And, and it's interesting as a senior cloud engineer. So, and I got a quick little thing about my um, 
how the senior came up. Essentially, I work in a group called Client and Engineering, and our goal is to help our clients take their sort of traditional IT workloads and get and modernize them into like a cloud environment. So it's like, you know, moving things into, um, we have a product called OpenShift. That is a, um, a flavor of um, a technology called Kubernetes, where it's, um, it's all about taking um, applications and putting them, you know, instead of it running on a computer in a basement somewhere, like uh, on premises, it's a flavor of uh, a distributed platform where you could run it anywhere. IBM has their own cloud service, but you can run your um, stuff in Amazon or Azure. So one of the selling points of IBM is this open hybrid cloud. Vendor lock-in is something that like is, you know, scares CTOs and like tech leadership. So we're saying, you know what, run your stuff wherever you want to run it, but we have services and things where we could deliver value to you wherever your stuff is. And you don't have to transition, like transitioning things and modernizing can be big, scary, difficult, um, expensive things to do. And so our idea is by leveraging open source technology and leveraging ways to deliver value no matter where it lives, whether it's on premises or they call it edge computing close to where the application is or wherever. So we're all about helping our clients to accelerate their transformation journeys from the old way of doing things to this newer, fresher, distributed, you know, happy place of having things run in the cloud. So that's like the, the, the main, main, main thing. And um, we're split up across different sort of, like we tend to have clients that are in certain parts of the country. So, and as things open up and it's safer to travel, there's an idea that we'll be kind of going to our clients if, if that need arises. But um, did I answer that okay? Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Uh... <laughs> I'm the culture nut on, on this little, I'm like, mm -hmm, yes, all of that sounds great. <laughs> but it's been, it's been good though. Like, um, you know, I really appreciate IBM, like in the way that, for instance, my manager's manager is um, an African-American fellow based out of Atlanta. So for the first time in my career, I report up to a man that looks like me, you know, in a technology role. So it took me only like a bunch of years to get to have that. So that's what I appreciate about IBM is um, it's a huge company, many people across all around the world. But when I jump on my calls, there's like, I would say another thing about my, you know, I've always been the only black person I would say 99% of the time, but I see people that look like me across the organization and that's really empowering. Um, so that's my one look, you know, I'm, I got my IBM sort of flag. I'm kind of waving yeah. I think it's a great place to work. I know it's not as, it's not a Google or Amazon, but I think it's- so, Yeah, so I got my start at IBM. And so maybe this oh, is wow. where we can transition to the question about what companies should do. So mm. when I was finishing up undergrad, uh, I think I went to a career fair. It may have been a Nesby conference, um, National Society of Black Engineers. Oh, yeah. Talked to IBM. They invited a bunch of under, you know, I think it was Blacks and Hispanics to Atlanta. Um, and we were there for a weekend where they just kind of told us about IBM. There were some mixers. They actually had us take like a logical test. And um, they were the ones when they got my test results because I was a math major. I wasn't really... I was I, I just computer science minor, but I wasn't really thinking I'm gonna go be a programmer. And I was 
I was a senior, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And they were like, well, based on your test results, you might actually, you know, we think you'd be really good at this. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was good. <laughs> you know, as someone who I didn't code until I took my first programming class in undergrad. So, wow. you know, they invested the time into that. And I think, um, and when I ultimately went to work there, there was lots of faces that looked like me, you know, and um, that was an excellent experience. So that was in the 90s and that was 1998 so uh, today what 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 do you think companies could do is there other programs that ibm is doing that you think other companies could duplicate absolutely like currently they have something called the summit program and that is really a great sort of like kind of school to corporate kind of pipeline of making a space for people um certainly like you know people of color, um, older. In fact, I have a colleague who, um, he essentially lost his job during the pandemic, went to a boot camp, and, you know, here he is at IBM, you know, kicking tail, like, you know, like he was doing this stuff his whole life. And so, like, the Summit program um, is, I, they give a space for um, people to be involved either as mentors um, so I, I think um, to answer the question of like what can corporate uh, companies do, I think making a space for even the employees um, and the time to, and then also kind of put some, um, you know, make, you know, have a program that literally kind of reaches out to underrepresented communities um, and then uh, enabling people who are currently employees to participate in some sort of way, like, you know, can I be a mentor? What can I do to, um, you know, like contribute my time to help, you know, um, get people onboarded and comfortable. Um, Cause so far, like, and I've, I've only been there for about five months, but to me it's, and then they throw so much learning at you. And Jenny, as you've seen, it's just like, I mean, like having a program to literally like reach out to people and then also um, having people who are at the company. So creating like, you know, business resource groups, like I'm in a part of a very dynamic, um, like the black resource group where, um, it's really all about the diaspora. There's people all over the world. Like I saw, I've seen people from Brazil talk about like, you know, can someone help me with, um, you know, my English, you know, uh, <laughs> can someone, um, you know, uh, I have a, a, a nephew who's entering college. Is there something that I can do to, so, so like, I, I love how like IBM creates a space for people. Like once we get there, what can we do? We're empowered to reach back and get involved. Like for instance, um, I shared a post about the summit program in a group and it got like a lot of hits and I'm so glad to do that. And I really hope that people can follow up with the links. And um, I told the folks in that group, whatever way you need my support, um, you know, like if, five or 10 people who responded to that can get pulled into that program for like, uh, like the internships or early career um, uh, um, opportunities. So like, I feel like for, you know, for companies to really make, to go in that direction, like, you know, creating a program to, to do that and then also allow the existing um, employees to participate and, and, and help get people forward yeah. The technology, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, that's the reason why 
the four of us are on this call right now is because <laughs> we are a part of an employee resource group um, dedicated to our Black employees. And that's exactly what we do. We, you know, try to be a source of, you know, knowledge and support for Black employees. I'm excited that we're developing right now a program that is reaching back to um, school age kids to in underrepresented communities to say, hey, I have a job in STEM and this is how I got there and this is how you can get there there also. Um, because, and I've mentioned this in a couple of other episodes, when I was in school, STEM was not a thing that was that was discussed. There mm -hmm. was no computer science. I think I said I took a computer science class and it was a bunch of stuff in Excel that I can't even give you <laughs> any specifics on. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a, a big push, but I think getting STEM in front of those communities to say, you know, the TikTok that you're using or these programs mm -hmm. that are on your computer, there are real people behind those applications and all of those things that you're using. And now it doesn't cost very much to learn those things. There are, you know, these boot camps available. There are all these different resources to get you involved while Yes, we need doctors and we need lawyers and we need the firefighters and all of that. But, you know, technology, I think, you know, is going to be there. And this is an, another avenue that you can take to, that you can be very successful, make a lot of money, create wealth for yourself and your family. Um, there's just so much opportunity there and we need more black nerds to, to <laughs> be behind the computers creating stuff because they're out there <laughs> absolutely oh sierra well said and then another thing too for people who may be older you know this isn't for young just for young people 30s 40s 50s i have a friend um i'm gonna throw her name out there is that okay for me to do yeah like, it's so yeah. more on the user experience side i'm such mm -hmm. a fan of hers um her name is obeda sampson she we went to um so when i was well i uh, went to grad school to do the user experience thing um i mean you know we we weren't spring chickens at that time um and she might be a great uh, person to have on your show too because i think she's, she's so amazing um but she went from you know being a journalist to she's currently as of today, or not, well, currently at the moment, she's the vice president of machine learning. Um, like there's this whole effort to make sure that there's ethics and um, an uh, understanding of how AI and um, and people intersect. And so mm -hmm. she's running that at Capital One. So in like oh, so many okay. years, and this, you know, you know, black woman from Chicago, same neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know, and when she made her transition, you know, you know, it, it was like, you know, we were, you know, we were like kind of mid career. And so I say that to say, you know, if you're 50 watching this, if you're 60 watching this, it's never too late. If you have an inkling to do it, there are, there are people in their fifties and sixties transitioning into technology. They really are. So I, I wanted to, I, I don't see a lot of attention on people who are older or mid-career mm -hmm. and, and, they, and and certainly like people of color and older and mid-career it is very 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 possible communities exist for, for for us to 
um, engage, you know, so you can see people like yourself. So I wanted to encourage people, no matter your age, whether you're 15 or 50. Um, yeah, and that diversity of background, you know, product teams need that, you know, slice as well. Because yes. if, if it's just, you know, a, a group full of, we all, you know, got our computer science degrees and then we all did this and then we all did that. And then the innovation or, you know, is, is not going to be there. You need people with different ideas, different perspectives to challenge people. And I think that's just like another way to kind of slice and dice it is the way people are educated, the experiences they had, their age, all of that kind of comes into factors of being creative and having creative teams, which people may not think of programming as a creative team, but I think it's a creative team. I think you I need- I think so too. Absolutely. I think the beauty of the tech industry where you may not get it in most places is there's so much diversity up and down, especially when you think about age and experience. It's in a traditional you know, industry, it's normally the people who've been there 20, 15, 20 years, you're learning from them. But in tech, it's typically flipped. You have newer people who are coming into the industry with fresh eyes, they're learning the latest and the greatest, and they are then imparting their knowledge to those who have have more experience and saying, okay, here's a new way of thinking about this, or here's how things have changed. And as you mentioned, the the way that you know some industries are dying, and there's still an opportunity for older individuals to come into this industry and learn something brand new and pivot their careers. I think that's such a unique thing in tech where you really don't get that in, in most other industries. There's just so much opportunity for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I definitely, I just feel like, you know, I, 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 I've seen people and friends around me. They're like, oh, I got this job. Like I have a friend who um, has accounting experience. And I'm like, man, I'm like, if you were to go to a boot camp or however you get to your journey of getting to that first job, you have this finance, this accounting experience, a FinTech company will love to have you in terms of, you know, you've got all this great working experience. You, 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 you can look at an accounting program, you know if it's working or not, because you could pull out a pad and a piece of paper and add up stuff of it. So it's like you have so much, you know, skill, your skill set is perfect for being the, the, the voice in the room of like, hey, I don't think this will work or, I don't think this would go with the, the, the you know, legal impact of, um, you know, of, of what we're doing. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I just, I felt like, especially, you know, as I'm a little bit older, I do see a lot of people where we're either under, um, what is it, underemployed. And, and I love what Sierra said. It's like, you know, we definitely need our, you know, our teachers, educators, things like that. But for people who have an interest or an inkling to look at technology, as a person who I just feel like there's so much opportunity, it's so it's such a great, you know, like for instance, I'm working from home, I'm not sitting in traffic, <laughs> I'm worried about you know, catch cold people touching the, the thing on the, the bus, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's such a blessing and a privileged position to be in. I just feel like I definitely would like for so many more of us, like I want there to be more black faces you know, in the room. So, you know, of whatever company that people land in, um, except there's, there's, you know, I still of the idea that 
especially these bigger companies, like we look at some of the problems like Facebook is having and, or Meta, I should say now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think there needs to be people in the room that look like us to drive, to, to create the space for conversations that need to be had. Because at the end of the day, like AI and all these things, it's created by people. And Sarah, you said that so perfectly. I think, or Jenny said that as well. This stuff's created by people. You know, it's not like algorithms or some, you know, they didn't kind of come from the mountaintops on tablets. Right. A couple of kids with some hoodies or whatever came up with the stuff or people. And it's like, if not the right people are in the room, we're going to start having these, we're gonna, we, that's why we're seeing these kind of disparate outcomes of, you know, you know, AI lab, mislabeling people or, you know, oh, we didn't think to have a data set that included folks because literally in their day-to-day lives, they don't interact with those folks. Yeah, it doesn't even occur to you. You know, it doesn't There's occur to you. some things that happen and I'm just yeah. like, how did this even make the light of day? Who, who was in the decision-making team to say that, yes, this is, this is what we should push out? And then you completely ignore, your blind spot is so, so apparent it's just like how how did this happen? Exactly, yeah. it's stunning. It's like wow. So it's just like, just like the more that we diversify our technology landscape, I mean, essentially we'll have better products that work better for everyone. I mean, it's win win, really. My mic was muted, but I was trying to say that it's from that old um, philosophy of not seeing race. Like, oh, I don't see color. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you do. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Right. There, there are races, yeah. and there, and there are people with you know different experiences, and their, their daily life is very different than your daily life. Yeah. So, and being sure. able to incorporate that in the innovations that you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think it's time for the heat check. Heat check. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, so first, Matt mentioned a couple things, I think. So maybe oh, just yeah. summarize. Just, um, you are the guest, so we should allow you to go first. Yeah, you go first. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, um, currently what's happening at the moment, um, and I'm not affiliated with Afrotech anyway, but there's Afrotech 2021. Um, I think it started yesterday. It goes Monday, through the 13th. I, I thought yeah. it was Monday. Oh, Monday. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, gosh, this has been already. Today, Wednesday. Oh my goodness. Man, wow. <laughs> it's like this week. But um, yeah, uh, I, I I think uh, yeah, it's happening th- through the 13th. Um, it looks like it's really dynamic. Uh, I don't know what the, I, I know there are tickets to um, attend. And I think even yesterday there were some like, uh, like Atlanta or in LA and Chicago, even there was like a little mixer for people to get together. But um, the one thing I did mention earlier in the podcast was, or the episode was that um, on the link that included that about Afrotech 2021 at the top, there is a submit resume. And so for people who may not be able to attend or have the time, um, does it hurt? It doesn't look like it costs anything. And then I didn't stop me from kind of clicking on the link. Definitely throw your resume in there and see what happens. Hopefully there could be, um, maybe there's some mechanism that can connect people to opportunities. Um, so I did want to, um, and if people have inclini- uh, an inclination to attend, um, definitely check that out. Cause that looks to be like really interesting. Um, gosh, that's my one thing that jumps out, uh, that one to mention. That works. 
Cool. Who wants to go next? I want to go Matthew next. <laughs> Matt, I, to, I, Matt to I, Matt. I, I, I <laughs> stepped on you last time, so I want to make sure you get the opportunity. <laughs> okay, I can go. Um, so I'll give some context. Back in May, um, Epic Games and Apple had a um, legal dispute over their App Store because uh, Epic wanted to sell like ex- their own. Because when you buy something through the App Store, it goes through Apple, and so they get a 30% cut. And so Epic Games wanted to be able to sell things in their game Fortnite like externally. And um, so they added a button that sent you to their their site, and basically it was 30% cheaper to buy the in-game currency through their website. And of course, that got shut down by Apple. And so back in May, this went to uh, like a lawsuit because they brought them to for an antitrust, like they had a monopoly on the app store. And so the, the judge found that they weren't, um, they didn't have a monopoly, but they ruled against Apple's anti-steering, which is the, like, you can't go to a different site and pay. And so they had 90 days to like implement something to get rid of that. And so um, they were putting it on pause because they were going through um, like, I don't know the legal term, but then, so today a judge ruled that they, they can't put it like appeal it. That's the word I was looking for. They can't appeal it and they have to change it. So they have 30 more days to do it. So Epic has 30 more days. No, Apple has, Apple has 30. So they don't even let them in the, they don't let Epic in the app store anymore, but Apple has 30 days to make it where anybody, any developer can like put something where it's like, you can pay externally instead of going through the app store. Oh, that's good. So kind of interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I was just like, whoa, it's like those, yeah, those don't play that. Yeah. Don't play, they they my price. <laughs> so, but Apple and Epic, like Epic is not a subsidiary of Apple. They just have their application on the app store. And not so anymore through, though. Uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> and through that, Apple was like, no matter what you sell, we're going to get 30%. That's yeah. Yeah. So everything goes to the app store. And so what they did was they wanted to like send customers to like an external website where they could pay directly to them bypassing the app store. And so what the judge ruled is that's legal that other apps can do that now. Interesting. That'll be interesting. I got to tell you too. Those, um, that, uh, like my nephews are really, really into Fortnite, and it's like that. Those like people are like the skins and the. the that, I think that generated. We're talking. I think it was in the billions or a billion. Yeah, they like they made like twenty or twelve point four million dollars in like the week or so that or whatever it was that they had the external button working. Wow, that's really something. That's wow. So, what do you guys think about that in terms of? So, it's, it's like kind of. You know, like Apple's been known to have like this very like engaged um, sort of like folks are happy to stay in that ecosystem, and I guess they generate so much of their um, sort of value out of like you know we're going to the App Store, I'm paying my two ninety nine or to the services. Um, I, what's what's your take on that? Like, I think openness is always good. Like being at a company that talks about open hybrid cloud, I feel like more being more, more open can only kind of help. Uh, certainly, the, the consumer. Um, I think it helps the consumer, but then there's like that, 
like an open ecosystem is is more like privy to an attack and security right. risk. So there's a trade off. I agree. I can see both sides. I prefer to stay in my Apple bubble. <laughs> it's just cleaner for me. I think Apple is making plenty of money. So they're probably, agree. probably be fine. <laughs> <laughs> also agree. Do you want to go next or you want me to go? Uh, I think I went last last time. So you go last. No, no, you went last last time. So what do you, I don't know. I'll go next. <laughs> so uh, Matt you were talking about kind of legacy systems and different things um, so I've been managing for the last five years so I don't code too much but back when I was jQuery was a thing like oh, yeah. jQuery this and jQuery that and I've picked up that it's not the latest and greatest anymore uh, but I came across this article called why outdated jQuery is still a bit the dominant JavaScript library. Um, it was written by Richard McManus on the new stack. Um, and basically saying 78% of the top 1 million websites still use jQuery, which I thought React was everywhere. Wow, okay. Um, and I don't know how you measure 78% of the top 1 million websites. I didn't read too much into that, but that's what it says. And <laughs> React is only 14%. Wow. So jQuery is out there alive and well. Um, well, maybe not so alive and well. It seems like it's in uh, maintenance mode. There's not too much going on there. Um, but they attribute it to uh, WordPress. Uh, that WordPress that interface is using jQuery. So that a lot of people are using WordPress, so a lot of people are using jQuery. But I, I thought that was interesting, especially when you talk about, we recently, we had an application that was based on um, uh, Flex. And so in the beginning of the year, right, they ended support for that and it was a security impact. And we spent a lot of man hours, re, you know, re rewriting all that um, to React. And, um, you know, thinking about the debt that that is when you have, when you're using a technology that's kind of um, going away, not supported anymore, which means it's going to be harder for you to maintain, harder for you to enhance. And uh, it's, it's probably 78% because it takes a lot of effort to remove all that. So if there isn't anything pushing it, like a security risk or something, it's probably just going to live there for a while. Um, so I just thought that was pretty interesting. I think we're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> when you make something good, it stands the test of time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. New technologies will come and go. jQuery will be here forever. <laughs> we know nothing will be here forever. Um, something hasn't knocked it off its, was, off its was, pedestal yet. I was trying to think of what language is like on us on a space shuttle somewhere some some language no one uses anymore oh that's gonna get me was it fortran or something like that I'm trying to think uh, like i don't know if it's fortran uh listeners right into interface podcast at pros.com if you know what language that is that's still out on the space stations <laughs> uh, that nobody uses anymore wow. uh but yeah it, it's 
the that it takes and the planning it takes to rewrite everything that already works is there's a lot of stuff out in the wild that is going to linger there unless someone is like, no, this is an explicit problem that I want to invest in to duplicate the same thing that it does. Mm. It's been mm. months to do that. That doesn't really change anything. So uh, that's the fun of, the, fun of uh, being if in the it ain't broke, Don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, it. All right, Sierra. All right. So my heat check um, today is. I saw a headline on TechCrunch. Um, Twitter and Viacom CBS announced global content partnership plans for Twitter watch parties. So I feel like all of these social media platforms have gone through some kind of rebranding in the past year. Instagram, photo, video, then you have Facebook. Meta and all of its hiccups that it's had in the past month or so. And now Twitter, which I have Twitter downloaded on my phone. I don't use it very much. And so I was reading this and I was like, okay, let's see what this is going to be. And I'm assuming that this partnership is to drive more users to to Twitter. Um, I just recently bought a house and I cut the cable. And, you know, so now I have all of these different streaming apps that I'm using, blah, blah, blah. But I actually miss, you know, watching live TV. I also just bought. You sound like my mom every time she comes to visit me. She's like, I just want to watch the news. <laughs> I just bought an antenna for my living room TV so that I can watch regular, you know, local network TV, ABC, CBS, or what have you. And so. This was interesting to me because, you know, during the pandemic, people would have watch parties where, you know, I know Disney enabled a platform, Disney Plus, where you could have several people watching the same thing, kind of live commentary. Um, and so this partnership is going to open the door for news and sports events to be streamed live as well as you know, entertainment um, uh, events. And so... I'm like, this is cool, I guess, but considering I don't use Twitter, I don't know that this would drive me to use Twitter more. And so I'm interested around the room if, you know, this partnership would drive you to use the Twitter platform more if you're like me and you've cut the cable. So I'm a like a fandom nerd, like anything, like Dune recently came out, mm -hmm. anything more, like just saw Eternals, you know, and I obsessively watch some content and then go to YouTube to watch the reviews. And even like TV shows that are like, you know, you're binge watching and like, I don't have, I don't think any of my friends have this obsession that I have. So it's definitely kind of me by myself. I think I would be interested if I could real time interact with people that are also interested in that content. So it's not like, you know, I go through this and then I wait for something else to get posted. It, I kind of kind of be in the moment with it. Um, but I have to look out for that. Okay. Fair enough. Matt, what you think? I know YouTube does that. Like some people will have watch parties on YouTube. I personally don't use Twitter. Um, I actually, well, I'll look at Twitter, people tweeting stuff during like the NFL games. 
Um, but I don't use Twitter other than that. So it really doesn't affect me. For watching live TV, that's it's more of a inconvenience to watch live TV. So I just kind of avoid it. <laughs> I do miss college. Now that it's football season, I do miss being able to watch an entire day of football just lounging on the couch. I think Hulu or Paramount, you could do that. I don't want to pay for the live access. Just saying. <laughs> I think I could see, like, you know, I'm very hesitant with Twitter because it seems like, you know, not that I want to throw controversial stuff out there, but it seems like Twitter has been like the downfall of so many people where, you know, you throw something out there and it's like pops up later. So I'm just like, whoa, that kind of, you know, I'm more like a consumer of Twitter and um, don't really throw too much out there. Um, you know, that's interesting. Like, I know, for instance, um, to, there's like this sort of like clubhouse type of functionality that Twitter has where it sort of mimics clubhouse. And so like in this way, this watch party thing sounds like it's sort of trying to add this other way that people can connect outside of just, you know, 180 characters. I feel like I would try it. I think I would try it. Um, yeah, I'm sort of just, I, I feel like I'm, I have a... a, a I'm more of a YouTube person than anything. Like mm -hmm. I feel like I spent so many, I, I paid extra money to skip the ads. Cause I literally just, I feel like I probably watch YouTube more than anything, whether it's like, <laughs> like review videos, there's a lot of content creators that I like, but the, um, I think if Twitter had something like that, I would try it. I would try yeah. it. Yeah. I, I would, I would try it once. I don't, I also think that Twitter is just a cesspool of negativity and yeah. <laughs> offhand, which is why I'm like, uh, I don't want to deal with this. But maybe, I mean, I'm interested to see what happens with this partnership and what the plans are. Um, and stay tuned. I'll let you know if I'm using Twitter to watch live <laughs> events. <laughs> we could all jump on a, 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 a feed or something. and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe um, someone can, we can live podcast and people can. <laughs> One day, Jenny, do not give me more ideas. <laughs> so Matt, uh, thank you for being with us today. How can people get in touch with you? I would say the best way. So I did say I'm on Twitter, but I don't use that as much. I'm definitely active more on LinkedIn. So um, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I should be on there as Matthew S. Womack. Um, but yeah, that, I think that would be the best way. Like the other ways, I'm like, eh, you know, I'm on there, but more like it's just, you know, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of hanging out, looking at what everybody else is doing, you know, more of a, you know, observer, just like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, 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 feel free. You know? <laughs> in fact, and I, I encourage people to reach out, even if we're not connected, like through email, I, I, you know, I try to respond to everyone, especially for people interested in, getting into technology. Um, I'm always happy to talk to people and get some time, even if it's 15 minutes, just to be like, hey, here's some resources, or what's your journey, or what can I do? And I'm I'm a connector. I'll connect people. Oh, yeah, I have a friend who works at um, Amazon. So you know, I can connect you to people and be like, all right, y'all have your conversation. Mm -hmm. I'll leave the conversation. So if, if um, for people see, like, I'm connected to people that could maybe be like, oh, I want to talk to them about what Microsoft's like, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a, that's a powerful superpower too. I, oh, yeah, I, um, 
the connector. Yeah, it's knowing. Uh, I'm the connector. I'm like, <laughs> that would be. I'm like, gotta come up with a costume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt, before we let you go, I was reading um, up on you before today's recording, and you're in Chicago. Chicago has a ton of great food, and I know that you're a foodie. Give me yes. your top three places to eat in Chicago. I just visited oh earlier in the year. Goodness. I don't oh want to come God. back. So give oh, me your top snap. three. Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. I'm on the spot. <laughs> um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's see. I like, oh, my goodness. And it changes over time. You know what? There's a place. I live in Hyde, the Hyde Park neighborhood. Um, Hyde Park is known for some really um, great, like, even black gold experiences. Um, I do, let's see. Oh, my goodness. That's a good, you know, what? I, I will say, like, we have, um, for people, are, are people, like, for people who are vegans, I feel like there's, like, this vegan sort of explosion happening. Um, there's a number of Black-owned vegan places. So, like, um, I think there's something, there's a place called Majani that I've eaten before. I think that, that was good. Um, I had a good experience. I would like to put this place out there. Um, I don't know if anyone was familiar with, there was a restaurant in Dallas where um, a gentleman by the name of Kevin had like uh, kind of went viral for some interesting reasons about sort of his establishment. Um, he has a restaurant in Chicago. I, so actually my last standing experience um, is a place called Kitchen and Cocktails by Kevin, I think. Actually, we had a really good experience. I think they had a little bit of a rocky start. Um, and I'm outside of like, you know, it's, it's not, it's a little expensive, but I really enjoyed it. And um, it's a black owned restaurant in downtown Chicago, which is amazing. So um, that was a really good recent experience. Um, in terms of pizza. That's what pizza. I want to know. Pizza. You know what? Chicago folks, you know, the deep dish pizza is cool, but that's really for like our friends and family that come from out of town. So we're going to do like Italian Fiesta. We're going to do like Oregios, which is um, a, still a black owned um, experience. I think, in fact, I think they're the Reggios is, if I'm, I may be mistaken, but I think they, that's like the biggest black owned, like, I think they sell the pizzas in stores across the country too. Um, but if you have to do Chicago pizza, my take is that Lou Malati's is the go-to for deep dish Chicago pizza. Hmm. Um, there's Giordano's. It's like the execution is a little different. If you're a, if you're really a cheese person, I would lean towards Giordano's because that's like a cake. If you, you never want extra cheese on Giordano's, because even for a cheese person, that's too much. Um, but so, it, like, if you're feeling extra cheesy, do the Giordano's. But overall, I would say the pizza for Luminati's for the deep dish is my personal favorite when i do that then we have all these really other cool places that are like you know um different pizza styles um around the, you know with the club style or the uh like the short style or the uh, i can't think of some of the other ones uh, but yeah that would be you know, you know soul food places we got our macarthur's we got our uncle remus's and uh, and harold's harold's chicken with the mild sauce, which you can now get in stores. You got mild sauce. Um, gosh. Sounds what? like we need help. 
Black-owned restaurant podcast, foodie podcast. Oh, uh, I'm like, I'm going to hit you up on LinkedIn. I need you to send me the list because I want to go back. Got it. I'm going to absolutely. Just a food tour of Chicago. You know, the best food. Chicago will have you spoiled, though, too. Like, yes. We have, and then Pilsen, like, you know, great sort of, um, you know, Tex-Mex and Mexican-American cuisine. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex. In we Chicago. live in Houston. We live in Houston. Oh, you know what? I would say, um, you know, I, I was told that, like, you know, there's Mexican cuisine, and a lot of the stuff that we enjoy is really more like Tex-Mex because it's like, probably, you know, Mexico. You know, it's just more like, you know, you're not going to see the heart, you know, certain things. So I, I try to be very careful, respectful of the cuisine. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to be a little snobby to say, <laughs> as a Texan, I am not going to go to Chicago for good Tex-Mex. Sierra, when you go, I'll let you be the judge to say if Chicago Sex Max can touch what we have here. In Matt is going to send oh, me a recommendation, I mean, and I will let you know my oh, review. Absolutely, <laughs> I, love, I would, I would make the trip just for that, for sure. Oh, we welcome yeah. you. Just oh, let us yeah. know when you're in town. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll give you some recommendations. Yes, some barbecue. And some oh, that's my middle name, barbecue. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, come on down. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode. Uh, just the way we kind of struck up a conversation with Matt. Go out, find somebody, ask them what they do, see if there's Absolutely. something you're interested in doing, and I'm sure you'll have a great time talking. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. 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 We're still working on our closing. Ha, ha, ha.